Hi, I'm Beck Rayner and this is the Military Life Podcast, a podcast that celebrates, empowers, supports, informs and embraces the spouses beside the military members by building connections, acknowledging our strength, focusing on self-care and our mental health. Let's do this together. Want to join a bank that just gets Defence Life? Defence Bank is one of Australia's largest customer-owned banks. They have 33 on-base branches across Australia, an award-winning banking app that allows you to do all your banking wherever and whenever you want. And with products and services tailored for ADF members and Defence spouses, you'll wonder why you didn't join sooner. Visit defencebank.com.au today and see how easy your banking can be. The thing with social media and a lot of mainstream media outlets as well is that we all have this thing called confirmation bias. So those that already have existing negative beliefs about the ADF are likely to then go and find information that backs up their existing belief that the ADF is terrible, for example. And then they're going to broadcast that either on media or on social media. And that that is also not not very helpful. And if you are going to be, you know, engaging and having conversations with someone where you're trying to shift their existing belief, be prepared for that kind of battle because they're only going to be presenting information that is relevant to back up their existing belief. So I definitely 100% boundaries around social media. I think you need to really know yourself first to be able to put those boundaries in place. You need to get really vulnerable and raw with yourself and those around you. I like what Julia said about having a bit of a script to tell people when they do start to ask you those questions. And part of, I guess, doing it with respect is about acknowledging the need for you, but also the need for them. So going, I understand that you're also really concerned about Bob and that, you know, you're trying to get as much information as you can so that you feel better about it. I can't give you that information. And the more times that people ask me that question, it makes me feel really upset and it makes me feel really stressed and anxious. So I would really ask that you don't ask me those questions. So then you kind of, you're understanding, you're validating both sides, but you're also being assertive in understanding your needs. So certainly a fair few things there. And also knowing, I guess, who not to talk to and whether you want to engage in that space. I will talk from personal experience in that I got very upset and I guess angry too last week when I was witnessing a lot of the images that were put out about defence members and then those individuals in those images were being vilified and publicly shamed and that no one had actually considered the impact on their mental health. I have a friend who's a distant, I guess, acquaintance and, you know, talking about confirmation bias, very anti-government. And of course, when this happened, prime opportunity, I could predict it was going to happen. I wasn't actually upset and I didn't engage in any of the content that she put up because I know that that's just who she is. I have, I guess, my narrative around that is that she's always going to be anti-government and that's fine. If her posts really upset me that much, I just block them for a while. But I, I actually shared one of the stories that you put up, Beck, because I made that decision of what, how do I want to engage in this polit- in this argument and where's my mental health at this point in time and my mental stability. If I'm already feeling quite emotional and I'm really struggling, I'm not going to then put that content out there because you don't know what you're going to receive back. And if you're not mentally able to cope with that, you're better off not engaging in it at all. So I put that out there and then she engaged me in a conversation. Um, It was reasonably respectable given that we're actually friends, but I was able to shift only a little bit of her belief 
gaps around the ADF um, and the actual individuals in those images because I actually presented to her using this, you know, the crisis that's happening with the ambulance service in Victoria saying, you know, we don't see images of individual paramedics on the news and we're not publicly vilifying and shaming them for a problem that is associated with the government. And she went silent. So even though we didn't, I didn't actually get the response I wanted, no response was actually pretty good. <laughs> so there's a few things in there around, yeah, just choosing where you're at in terms of your mental stability. Do I really feel like I want to advocate, be an activist in this space? Are there other ways that I can show my support for military spouses, like just sharing a story that um, that you guys might have already put up? Is it engaging in conversation about these things with fellow spouses? Is it a bit more of a bigger system thing? Do I go to my local member? Like who do I contact? Those sorts of things. But it doesn't matter which option you choose there is never an expectation that you have to engage in this political conversation and that's okay. And the same goes for social media and news in that there's almost this assumption that if you don't know what's going on, then you don't care. And that is so far from the truth. There is nothing wrong with prioritising your mental health and your well-being and your children's well-being by being aware of what's happening and empathising with that, but you do not have to be completely aware and watch social media and be amongst it and be commenting on it to actually care. Going back on the point that you made, Tanya, about being and connected to what Julia said about being assertive and having, you know, that line that you tell people that, you know, that maybe you're comfortable with saying to kind of, I guess, answer their questions, but not give them any information, or maybe it's around operational security rules and all of that sort of stuff, or, you know, you protecting your mental health, you being assertive and saying to someone, like you mentioned, this is actually upsetting me, you asking me this, that's not being rude. That's by you not being assertive like that, you actually then take that inward and actually impact your mental health. So I guess you've got to bring your thinking around to if I'm not assertive in this situation, it's actually only going to hurt me more. And if I'm not assertive in this situation, it's actually not going to, I guess, educate that person on how they're making me feel and can potentially open me up to having that person ask me again and again in other situations, the same thing, whereas it may redirect their um, behavior for next time because they've actually connected a feeling and understood that they've made you feel uncomfortable or upset or how would you sort of explain that to people? I think you need to be very confident in that approach. If you're having doubts that, oh, you know, am I being a bit rude by saying that, you know, assertiveness is a skill that's not often, it's definitely not taught in schools um, and it's something that we need to practice throughout our lives. I would be looking at those micro opportunities to practice assertiveness to actually build up your confidence. And it may mean that you have to have a few conversations with this particular person. It may be that you don't start off with that complete statement. It might be that you start to plant seeds with that person. But I think honesty is always best. And I think the reason why I advocate for using like feelings and emotions kind of within assertive statements is because the vast majority of us, in order to tap into empathy, we actually need to express emotional content so it's like if I was to say to someone you know I hate it when you yell at me that person's likely to just get defensive to be honest but if you turn around and you say when you yell at me it makes me feel really scared and I'm wondering if you could maybe try communicating in a different way you've already tapped into an emotional part of the brain not everyone is going to empathize and like I can certainly acknowledge that but that's why I always advocate for using those emotions and Julie's mentioned the word need a few times as well the other part to that is you need to then tell them what you need them to do instead 
these are recurring conversations that you will need to have with people within your support network that may tend to, I guess, bring up a lot of these questions and things like that. Boundaries don't always have to look like talking either. You know, you can have some sort of a, again, a statement of, you know, um, I understand you're really curious. I just don't want to talk about this. And if you're not at the stage where you can be assertive like that this time around or or in whatever situation you're in, but it does play heavy on you and you think that really made me feel uncomfortable, I'm really holding on to that or I'm thinking that over again and again kind of thing. You know, once everything's settled down, and whatever situation is going on has kind of worked itself out or, you know, you've come back down to a relatively normal level. Like we mentioned, sometimes we're still up a bit high. Once we've sort of come back down would be the time where we can kind of think, okay, well, what kind of work can I do now so that when the next time does come around, I'm mentally prepared or I'm confident enough to be able to be assertive kind of thing. And I think too, having almost like a coach, so someone that you're very close to, it could be another defence spouse to also just guide you in how to do that. Someone to like almost G you up a bit to have that conversation, like, come on, you're advocating for yourself, you're important, your needs are important, to have someone to kind of support you in that process. Because I think so often we feel very isolated and alone in these experiences. And, and I myself did until I actually, you know, discovered your page and the podcast. So I think too, if you can have someone that is maybe a bit more confident in that space and in that communication style, they could take on more of a coaching role within your life and they can support you in that process as well. I think something that can be important for people to understand as well is if you have a bias towards counselling, I think a lot of people think that counselling is when you're in crisis or you have existing trauma. So if I don't have anything going on or anything to talk about, then I have no use for a counsellor or a psychologist. But one thing I've learned about those relationships with those professionals is they can not only help you manage burnout so you don't get to that point, but you can do your best work in a relationship with them when you're not in crisis. Because when you're in crisis, you're already too far gone to be able to do foundational work. But when you're not in crisis, you could use your time in those appointments with them to work on foundational skills like assertiveness. So if you need some assertiveness or if you think that you're too assertive, they can help you work on those communication styles yourself. So it's definitely something to keep in mind that that is a tool in your toolbox that is not just for when you're in crisis. So like we started talking about boundaries, that of course having boundaries in place and knowing how best you can look after yourself and how others can support you when you have a defence member who's away and, and in situations that are changing hour by hour and sometimes dangerous is crucial because as we've seen from the past week, situations like natural disasters, emotions are high, understandably. The needs of those impacted are immediate and great. And sometimes there is, you know, that these situations are life and death. So when the sentiment out in the community quickly turns to blame, which we've seen in, in the past week, and who's doing what and why a certain response wasn't triggered sooner. And, and as we've seen this past week, that Blame shifted to the ADF as a whole and singling out defence members with images and footage in the media. It can be a really hard narrative to hear and watch, especially for those of us who are so proud of our defence members and what the defence community stand for and contribute and the sacrifices not only the defence members make but also us. 
how have you guys coped with the misdirected community outrage and the feelings coming from our communities? Because obviously Haley and Julia and myself, we've all got online communities that consist of defence partners and families and defence members, and we've been supporting them through the last week. What have you guys been hearing? Our community has been really sad, but also very angry and, and hurt that I guess that this is the narrative that's been span, you know, that that's been created. So I think they really struggled. It's been a really heavy week and it hasn't just been spouses that have struggled. There's been a lot of children that have struggled. Children are hearing negativity at school. They're struggling, you know, they're finding it very hard that there's this narrative that's been you know, um, created that, that their parents who are defence members aren't working hard enough or they're not working long enough hours or they're just there for PR stunts. And, you know, so the feel is that, that they're really hurting. And, you know, look, I, I've been hurting too. I think it's quite horrendous that there's been this misinformation put out there and it's obviously not true and it's changing slowly um, information and um, truth is coming out that, you know, wasn't that what was initially um, being reported and that's great. Um, but, you know, for the last week, it really hasn't made a difference, I think. Yeah. So I think it's just, it's just been really hard. Things are really heavy and I'm glad that this new information is coming out because now we can reshift our focus, I think, to the positivity and the amazing things that our ADF community are doing in these locations and they're working hard, they're doing long hours, you know, they're being supported by their spouses at home, their families at home and I think they're doing a great job and I'm really proud of our ADF, I'm very proud. Julia, we've just spoken about all of the things and thoughts and feelings and sacrifice that goes into being a defence spouse being in a defence family and having an, an ADF member that goes away and, you know, is signed up to protect their country. And we don't have that choice to say, well, no, you're not going because I've seen what's going on in the news or it's not fair that they're treating ADF that way or, or whatever the case. We don't have that option of, of pulling back out of that situation. But also, like we've mentioned, all of those thoughts and emotions and sacrifice go into being a defence family, a spouse and having that ADF member, which then just compiles with the fact that we've then got that misdirected community outrage. What were some of the thoughts and feelings that were coming through your community? There was a lot of hurt and it wasn't just in spouses. There was a lot of anger and it wasn't just in spouses. I had members coming through my community. I was speaking to members. I spoke to many of hubby's friends. I won't go into the themes that they shared with me, but they're at the highest level of the scale. And for you, then if, when you're hurting and then hearing that, you hurt even more. Like it was soul crushing. Like you just felt hollow and empty hearing that. But I think one thing that was great for me was having a community where I was able to get vulnerable about how I felt. And I was able to share that while I was feeling that way, I understood that it was a very highly emotive time for people and that there was another half of a reason there that we had to understand, which was there was a lack of education. So for me, having a community, I was able to put out a post about what DAC defence assistance to the civil community actually is. Everything that needs to go into that, 
what people weren't seeing and understanding and how far reaching organizing 5,000 troops was because it wasn't just involving the 5,000 people that we ended up putting on the ground up there. It was involving probably 10,000 people trying to coordinate that operation across the service. We were watching members get pulled left and right off duty, equipment getting repatriated back, people getting told three times in one day that the manning has changed as to what they're doing tomorrow, what they need to be doing in six hours from now. So it left everybody anxious, hurt, frustrated, angry. And I think it left a lot of people helpless. That was the one overarching theme, if I had to sum it up, that I was hearing from people. And the helplessness was added to because past trauma comes into it. Like we've already spoken about, that is where you knowing your boundaries and having that safe support network that you can call on or that you can confide in with those real thoughts and feelings really comes into play because I feel for those defence partners out there, those defence members out there that aren't connected in with networks like ours or, you know, don't feel like they have that safe space and then, you know, are, are feeling like, well, who can I trust in my circle? Maybe you know, maybe my sister thinks the ADF is not doing enough. Maybe, you know, my cousin is the one sharing that stuff on social media saying that, you know, we're not dirty enough in our uniforms or we weren't there soon enough. And when the hurt is so close or when you do see that the wider community has that view, you kind of get to the stage where, well, who can I confide in? Who can I share these thoughts and feelings with? And who can I connect with to feel like I'm not alone and that I'm not a isolated guy? going through this situation because of the nature of defense and living defense life. It's kind of like if you don't live it, then you don't get it. But it's like we've mentioned, building those networks so that when there are times like this, we can fall back on those networks and have at least that that one person that we can talk to and um, make sure that we're, we're not feeling so isolated. Yeah, I think I saw a lot of spouses also putting calls out to say, if you need to chat, I know I put one out, Beck, I know you put one out, Hayley, I know you put one out. We were saying message us like and, you know, if we couldn't call you, we could get somebody to call you or we might know somebody in your location we could connect you with. It happened to be great timing that there was a military wife catch up like there were more people than could fit on that Zoom screen. And I think that that was very important that everybody rallied around our community because we weren't getting that from the wider community, we really need to have that ability to rally around each other. Um, I went and had coffee with spouses I'd never met before just to check in on how they were doing. It was very hard to think about everybody who didn't have that. And something else that was very hard to understand was the amount of people just telling me that they hadn't even heard from their families. And, and I can speak as one of those spouses. I didn't get a single message from anybody on either side of our family. And that's even more heartbreaking than potentially what you were seeing online because they're within our immediate circles or generally should be. And it's really hard to accept that they didn't get the need to pick up the phone and check on us. So it makes you go, what do we need to do? Like, where is the education going wrong if our own immediate families don't even understand that there was a need there that they could have met that went unmet? And potentially, is that because they're thinking that there's supports there that are catching us when in reality they're not? Or maybe that because that 
narrative is out there that we are resilient and we do just get on with it kind of thing that um, they just assume, oh, they're okay or they'll figure it out or they've done it before. Or Tanya, no one's denying the thoughts and feelings of the communities impacted. And I think we can all agree that the wider community need to be better informed about what the process is when it comes to situations like the past week. But when it's happening and emotions are high and the immediate needs of those impacted are so great, it's obviously not the time. So in the meantime, how did do those who have been impacted by the community sentiment about the ADF and this narrative that our defence members aren't doing enough or are just there for show or whatever we're hearing through media or through our friends and family or whoever's putting that narrative out there, how do we deal with the disappointment and sadness, like Julia said, like of, of all of those feelings that might be brought up for us because we didn't have anyone check in on us or we had, you know, a friend share something that, was continuing that narrative that the ADF are slacking off or whatever was happening sort of over the last week. How do we deal with those thoughts and feelings? Yeah, first of all, it makes me so sad to hear all the stories about the people that you support. But I also feel almost a little inspired by each of you because you've been real leaders and I guess um, support people for so many defence spouses that are often just left completely isolated. I think there's, a, there's again, so much there, but I think a couple of things have already been highlighted around certainly the lack of education, but it's about how that education is delivered and what that actually looks like. I love, Julia, that you shared that post about the DACs. Like, I think something that's really, really short, it's able to capture the right environment, it's easily shared, um, and it may not create a huge amount of systemic or cultural or community change, but each person that does that almost gets a sense of agency in that, like they're doing something about it. And like I said said before, it doesn't have to be something big, you know, it can be something that, you know, you're doing within your own family system to be able to create that change. And maybe it is conversations at a later date, but I love the word vulnerability that you use, Julia, because you really, you said that you, you know, you really embrace that. And by modeling vulnerability and your own vulnerability, you're inviting others to do the same. And that kind of sense of community, which brings me to, I guess, the term I use around like having a protective shell. So when these things happen, and you know, sadly, this is not going to be the last time that the ADF are going to be thrown under the bus, you know, and natural disasters in particular, they bring up people's values system, right? And when our values and the beliefs like about how the world is, when they get challenged to that same extent, there is that misguided kind of anger. So I think the part of that protective shell that we need to have is that ability to kind of share our own stories and to share the stories of others and to create that kind of community that you are all doing, you know, amazing work in. And look, part of that is actually understanding the story of others. If we kind of understand why when these natural disasters happen, there are particular groups of people that take a particular stance or they promote a particular narrative, it almost, I'm not going to say that it stops us from absorbing the hurt because we we still do. There's nothing that I, that I can say that is going to necessarily stop that hurt and sadness. I think it's more about acknowledgement and building community. But if we can kind of create that protective shell by putting that responsibility and that negative emotion that's being I guess, directed towards us back onto them, as in that's an issue within that person's belief system. And, you know, they obviously lack the kind of education or understanding or awareness of what the defence force do and what it's like for defence spouses and partners. It's almost that compartmentalising and, and putting that back on 
to them, if that makes sense. Now, that's obviously easier said than done. Um, and like Julie mentioned earlier in the discussions, that when you're in crisis, that's often the hardest time to do that. But it's about what does your protective shell look like? And when these things come up, who do you let in and who needs to stay a bit on the outer? Is it that, you know, I need to build up my informal networks? Do I need to, you know, go and have coffee with um, some of the other, the other defence spouses? Do I already know that my family are not going to reach out, that they just don't understand what we're going through? Do I keep them at a distance as well? Or do I want to create change within my family system? What do I want that to look like? And how do I share my story with my family members so that they understand that their lack of checking in just completely reinforces a narrative that's completely incorrect and the emotional impact that that has on both myself as an individual, my spouse, and my kids, if I've got kids as well. Yeah, definitely. And so I guess past situations like the last week may have led us to think about who really is looking out for ADF. We understand that the Prime Minister is not going to come out and say, hey, celebrity over there, pipe down. And we know that actual defence members aren't actually allowed to say anything about what was going on in the media. They have, you know, a duty that they're actually not allowed to, to say anything in the media. They're not allowed to say, stop filming me or stop taking photos of me or how dare you put that photo on your social media blasting me. So if no one is or able to speak up, how do we change the narrative? You know, if we feel like there's no one speaking up for the ADF, we can do it in our circles and we can support our community. But how do we change the narrative when emotions are high and there's no one looking out for the ADF? But obviously, the defence minister was in the media talking about the job that the ADF were doing, but there's no one in the media saying this is wrong, this narrative is wrong, you need to stop and giving uh, perspectives from defence families, defence members, that sort of thing. We can only change the narrative by educating people with our experiences. That's the only way we can change the narrative. With so many people not able to speak, as you said, ADF members can't speak about you know, these things. And um, so I guess it's it's up to us to do that, to take on that role and, you know, advocate and educate and let them know that sometimes this thing isn't true that you're seeing in the media and, you know, and I guess just the key is education. This is really the stories behind what's really going on. Yeah, I think we were able to lead by example. We were able to use images that painted a thousand words, whereas we saw ex-service organisations being silent or posting a photo of the floods but not our troops. Nine out of ten defence spouses wish they found out about Defence Bank sooner. Okay, I might have just made that up and they do sponsor my podcast, but I've checked them out and I think they're worth a look just for their banking app alone. It's award-winning and currently has a rating of 4.8 out of 5 in both the app and Google Play Store. It does everything a big bank app does with cool features like fast same-day payments, card alerts and controls, pin change functionality, savings roundup, spend tracker, the list goes on. Oh, and if you really want to go to a Defence Bank branch, you can. There are 33 on-base branches across Australia. And with many of their branch staff a defence spouse or partner, you'll be talking to someone who just gets it. Banking as a defence spouse doesn't have to be hard. For more info, visit defencebank.com.au. The spouses like ourselves did the same with what we put out there. But it was disappointing that other ex-service organisations didn't do it. 
And I think for the people who were doing it, we had a duty then on our pages in in our communities to broadcast that, to shout that from the rooftops and highlight that so that we weren't just sharing images saying, oh, look what this tweet has put up. Instead, we were actually sharing more positive news. I think Haley did a great job at Defence Kids of pointing that out in a post and changing the imagery direction. And she let us all know that that's what she was doing as well. So I think it really just comes back to where we can lead by example, where we can advocate both through our communities. And I know that a number of us were messaging these other ex-service organisations saying, You could do a post non-politically by using this wording and this imagery. Um, And I think that that went a long way because I know that we only started to see their posts circulating more once we actually led by example and took that initiative to do it. Whether they took inspiration from that or thought, hey, they actually know what they're talking about, doesn't matter. At the end of the day, the job got done. Although that can really weigh heavy on our shoulders because, I mean, not saying that we were the only ones doing that, but, you know, a few years ago, some of us didn't exist and we didn't have those communities that we'd built up. And a lot of us are doing it on volunteer time. There's organisations that are getting paid. There's organisations that are there specifically supporting and funded to support and provide services for veteran community and, and spouses, yet we are the ones changing that narrative and that can that can weigh heavy because you know we're just people as well and we're hearing a lot of things from people and we also have to look out for our mental health in saying that obviously you know the past week has weighed heavy on on us and we have been supporting a lot of people through the past week but it's also shown us that we can have a big impact you know we had celebrities taking down posts putting up apologies and you know all all the different sorts and we had you know, different organisations sharing positive things because you were trying to change that narrative. But I think it's just proven that we can have an impact when we all sort of come together with the same goal, I guess. As defence spouses and defence families, I think we are underestimated and we're a force. To put it plain and simply, we are a force. And when we come together with a goal, I honestly believe we can achieve anything. And um, and we can achieve anything. And that has been shown uh, this week in particular when people have removed posts because, you know, we've written to those people directly and said, hey, let's have a real think about the damage this is causing or um, the impact that this is having on families. Or let's have a think about why this is not a great idea. So, you know, there's been apologies issued. There's been um, spouses have been contacted directly. A celebrity had uh, made a personal phone call to a veteran to apologise. So it's there's been some big changes. And, yeah, we're definitely underestimated. I, th- I definitely think we're a force and they're having a really positive impact in this space. Let's talk about the long-lasting impact on not only the partners and families but also the defence members that situations like the past week can have. Tanya, can you provide some insight into what some of the long-lasting impact might be? Because, you know, it's all well and good for, like we've mentioned, celebrities to take down posts and influencers to apologise and people to make personal phone calls, but there's still people out in the wider community that will have been impacted and may take that into the next assist or the next media coverage about the next natural disaster and um, have thoughts and feelings that have carried over from the last. 
there's definitely going to be a lot of long-term impacts for some. And I like that you also mentioned, yeah, the defence members themselves, because you mentioned here in some of the notes around not having a voice. Not having a voice and not being heard, like especially because, um, you know, like you mentioned, our defence members can't share their voice necessarily. It's almost it's a human right to have a voice and to not be able or to not even have the support of a community to help you share your voice for many spouses is often very traumatic in itself. So if I think of child, like lots of childhood trauma and certainly those kind of survivors of trauma that I've worked um, very extensively with, part of that healing and recovery journey for them is actually giving them a voice in a time where they that control was taken away from them. So there can be definitely flow-on effects in the sense of, yeah, this experience being quite traumatic. I think, too, the other kind of long-term effects is around that disconnection from the wider community. You know, often fence members and their spouses and families um, are already kind of ostracised in a way and in many communities. I mean, it depends on both, you know, geographical location as well because not all locations have a great network and the communities there don't always have a positive relationship with the defence personnel and bases and things like that. So I think it can just further exacerbate feelings of isolation. And I think too, especially for defence members, it can induce feelings of shame that aren't actually appropriate. Because if you think about it, even though the narrative that's being portrayed by the media is not necessarily the narrative that we believe in, in terms of how the brain works, the more times you hear a particular narrative, the more your brain starts to believe that, even if it doesn't match your existing beliefs. So for some people that may not have, you know, those strong belief systems like we do, they can almost feel a little bit conflicted and confused as well and feel like, where do I need to conform? Where do I belong with? You know, and that in itself can have long lasting impacts as well. So there's certainly lots there in terms of what can happen for us as spouses and defence members, but also the children in this space. And I know, Haley, you're a great advocate in that way as well, because there's often a level of bullying that might be happening. Um, you know, the confusion for them is even greater than adults because they don't have the belief systems that we do in terms of as many experiences to back up those beliefs because of just where their brains are at in terms of development. But there's all those kind of flow on effects that I don't think the wider community are aware of when they do portray this narrative that is incorrect. And that's why I've really valued a lot of the and where the importance on sharing these stories are, because it is about giving people a voice and for the greater community to learn from these experiences. We're not doing what they're doing and vilifying the community. We're not, you know, two wrongs making a right here. We're actually just trying to model for them and to give, you know, a more truer version. And we can create that narrative. And I think creating that sense of agency and change, I think can be really inspiring for people as well. And that's going to be protective against some of those long-term impacts. So having kind of like a grassroots approach in that that changing of the narrative starts within the individual so within ourselves changing our own narrative around it if we need to or knowing what our narrative is and what the truer narrative is then within our families how do we ensure that we you know our kids are going out and hearing this incorrect narrative how do we then make sure that they're not being influenced by that and that they're not left feeling confused so how do we continue to reinforce a truer narrative within the home, then within our networks, then within the, our local communities, then within the, the larger community, you know, and you guys are doing that amazing kind of change within that space. So I think we all have, you know, have a role to play in creating that and changing that narrative. And I think once the cleanup is 
underway and communities impacted have received the help and support they need. We've all already discussed this. It's not like, okay, well, that's over. People are starting to understand what the ADF does, how it works, all that sort of stuff. People have taken down posts. Oh, it's okay now. I think our thoughts have more so turned to what's the way forward? It's not just, okay, that's done. Let's just move on with our lives. We as people with networks that support other defence spouses, families, children are thinking, okay, well, how can we move forward from this? But how can we make it better for the next situation? Like you mentioned, Tanya, there there is always going to be another natural disaster. The ADF are always going to get called in. There's still going to be that confusion. But what can we do in the meantime? Hayley and Julia, what are your thoughts on like ways forward from the past week? One thing that we could do would be to, well, education is the key, I think. So that, that's where um, Defence Kids are stemming from, is about educating the wider community about the roles of ADF. And one way that we can do that is maybe by introducing this more into education to schools. So starting at the grassroots, so educating the children about ADF roles, how important it is, how they contribute to our society, what they do. I mean, yes, we need to obviously educate the wider community also, but I think starting at the grassroots up is going to be really beneficial for years to come. And what I guess it's doing then is it's having those conversations and teaching those children so they can go back to their parents and have those conversations also. So it's coming from a different perspective. And kids want to know about this stuff. Kids do want to know what the ADF do. And obviously, publications need to be discussing these things as well and putting it out through social media and but that's just one way we could do it is doing it through schools and Julia I guess Haley and I and a few others have spoken about and I think even Julia and I spoke about the fact that yes it's great that some influencers and celebrities were educated and maybe we turned their thinking around by I guess being that vulnerable and telling them personal stories and and connecting with them that way but you know to use the popular term if we circle back around after the the people have received the support that they rightly deserve and and things have started to look up for some people impacted circling back around to I guess really connect with those people that may have had those views and telling them about why it impacted ADF families and ADF members so much, why those images being shared, why that footage being shared. Yeah, it's all well and good for people to pull it down and go, oh, sorry, got the wrong end of the stick, didn't mean it that way, didn't mean to use those people as examples. Actually, I was trying to attract someone else. I was trying to make a point about something else. We can circle back and actually have an impact by, you know, not just letting it rest on pulling that post down and moving on. We can actually come back around and educate them even further as to what the ADF does, some of the personal stories about, you know, what an ADF, what what it takes to be an ADF family, all of that sort of stuff. Yeah, definitely. And I took away a list of things that I think need to be done better. There was a lot of people saying, you know, oh, well, we've got lessons to learn from. But I mean, that's been said to me to death. Um, And 10 years later as a spouse, I'm sorry, but nothing has changed. Very little has changed in the 10 years I've been a spouse in this area. So I think, as you said, Beck, one of the important things is that those of us with these communities don't put that to bed. We don't let this get put to bed. We focus on the moral injury that has occurred because it's been both to member and to spouse and family. I think we need to remain committed to educating the public and I think we need to loop in with the ex-service organisations 
who need to be willing to come to the table and say, you're due a voice, we're going to give that voice to you. How can we help? What do we need to do? How can we change our campaigns to better get to the spouse and assist? I think organisations like Defence Families Australia and DMFS with Defence Member and Family Services they need to step up and focus on relationship building with those ESOs within our community, repairing any trust or damage there. I think that that is critical because we cannot connect spouses to the supports they should have been able to turn to until we do all of that. So I think this isn't just about one issue. This isn't just about the floods. It's not about the posts that happen. It's not about the moral injury related to that issue. We need to go right back to grassroots of everything and we need to address trust, relationship building, giving a voice, giving a platform to spouses. We need to address the supports, the gaps in those supports. I think we need to focus on education both to our spouses and families um, as well as better education to the members around supports and services, what they need to be putting in place and having in place routinely so that as they keep getting called into more and more operations and taskings, that there is already a foundation of support there because it's too late to do it when the task is turned on. I think also providing spouses and defence families with the confidence that they can contact those services that are supposed to be supporting them in that way already, can write that letter, that email, can get in contact with their DFA delegate or whoever it may be to voice what they have just been through or what they experienced or their thoughts and feelings. Because some people might feel like, oh, well, it's not a big issue. Like I've just moved on, like life goes on. But nothing changes through the the organisations and supports that exist if they don't hear about it. Um, So I guess if they have a thousand spouses writing an email going, I was really impacted by the way that the media portrayed ADF last week or whatever thoughts and feelings they had from the past week and how everything was handled, then those organisations are going to step up and and listen to those people and, and possibly then take forward some changes in the way that they connect with services or educate services or but I think what we can do is give spouses aside from the education with you know celebrities influences media and all of that sort of stuff which we can have an impact on but giving spouses that confidence which I think we're doing a good job of but making sure that the past week is something that they can contact those support organizations about and voice their concerns about. Tanya can you talk about why it's important to help the community to make new connections with the positives about the ADF a positive narrative about the ADF why why is it important that we circle back around with uh, celebrities, influencers, with those people that may have promoted last week's narrative? Like, why is it important that we we help people make new connections? I think it comes back to what we were saying about creating a voice and that sense of agency and control in a time where we don't necessarily have a lot of that. I think there's a couple of like points in that question. I think it's really important to to bring them back to the positives and to focus on the positives of the ADF because that's where we all have lots of positive emotions, right? I mean, often there's some negative ones that come with that as well, um, but we're all very aware of those. But I think we have to be the advocates for teaching people about what those positives are and showing them the emotions behind that, you know, showing them how proud we are of our defence members, 
we are a you know as a society we're storytellers and that's where keep coming back to those sharing of stories because that's where we actually learn that's where the power and the emotive content actually comes from people can relate to stories whereas if we try and give too much kind of structured and education you'll lose people and the ones that we really need to actually capture their the attention of you know you think about all the posts on social media that go viral they're all stories they're all stories about particular people whatever the story is you know and I think the sharing of and it could be even like going back to what Hayley and both and Julia as well saying around that grassroots stuff kids sharing their story as well you know how can we create you know a safe space for them to do that because the one thing that stops us from storytelling is we have to be vulnerable in that space and a lot of us are not overly comfortable with being vulnerable because there's always the risk that someone is going to project harm to Towards us, that someone is going to use that vulnerability for their own benefit. And we have to be able to have protective plans in place to ensure that we are prepared for if that does happen. You know, I mean, the majority of experiences are going to be really positive and I think it's going to leave people feeling very empowered, but they need to obviously also be aware that there are going to be those people out there and those influences that you are not going to be able to shift necessarily their narrative. But knowing, you know, and I think both Julia and Haley have been you know, amazing for me to hear about all the support um, that your services provide and also all the other services that I'm not even aware of as a spouse, knowing that, oh, well, what, yeah, what are they doing? I've never even heard of them, you know, <laughs> those sorts of things. So final thoughts on how the community is feeling and how we all sort of got through the past few weeks. I know that a big thing for me was, and, you know, that's been a, a theme within my community all along, is that connecting with each other and with other people who get it and being able to be vulnerable and say, I might not have it as hard as someone else, but I'm still finding it hard. We can sometimes, I guess, talk ourselves out of feeling like that's a hard situation. They might not seem like a big deal to others, but being able to connect with other defense partners, other defense families, and and be able to feel safe in expressing that you are having a hard time with this has made it definitely an easier time. I won't say it, it made it better. The past week has been traumatic for a lot of people and it's been really, really crappy, but those connections have been what has made it bearable, I guess, over the past week. What about for you? and Hayley and Julia? I think for me personally, it's been exhausting. However, a positive to come out of this is that I'm incredibly proud by how our community has drawn together. And I'm not just talking about our spouses, I'm talking about our children, our defence families, our defence members, our defence communities, uh, the defence minister, all together collectively, we have worked together to change the narrative. And I could not be prouder of the way that we have defended the ADF, to be quite honest. So while the ADF are working their bums off to really help these communities and to you know, clean up their schools and get them back into safety, we've been at home really supporting them and hard. We've been supporting them hard and it has been a pleasure to watch. It really has. So I'm really proud of us and the way we've all drawn together. I think it showcased our strengths, to be honest, in the past week at how we can come together and really create change. And let's call it strength, not resilience. It's definitely strength. Definitely strength. I'd be the same as Haley. So I actually wrote this word down that if I had to sum it up 
first I said tired and then I went, no, exhausted. Exhausted does it better. And another word we used just earlier, um, disempowered. If I had to say how people are feeling, I think that those are the two words, exhausted and disempowered. I think it's been good for people to be able to connect with other people that they potentially haven't connected with before because everybody who could that was in our community took to social media or took to communities where they could they tried to put that message out to people that you are not alone and I think that that gave people the opportunity to recognize that they truly aren't alone there are other people going through what they're going through it's not a case of you don't have it as bad as me. I'm just really amazed and impressed by the level of leadership I think that you've all taken you know I think you're creating a road down psychological safety you're creating that safe space for so many people and you know you're using that to create collective strength and I just think that's yeah I'm just amazed and I love it and I'm yeah I'm just very impressed by everyone's ability to really advocate and be vulnerable and share and just create that safe space because I do agree like there's all that kind of psychological help out there there's counsellors you know psychologists those sorts of things and I'm a big believer in everyone needs their own kind of counsellor um you know and we should be normalizing that as well especially for defense spouses and families but they can't always create that sense of community and isolation that's often missing and if we look at you know, the research into depression, one of the biggest risks and even, you know, with suicide is that isolation and that lack of community and why that, you know, collectively we're starting to see an increase in the rates of depression because in many areas that sense of community is actually dissipating. We're actually not strengthening that in so many areas. So for defence spouses and families who are already at risk of mental health illnesses, you know, I think what you're all doing is really inspiring and I just am leaving this conversation feeling very positive even very warm about that thank you so much yeah I I mean obviously as well like we need to thank all of the people within our communities and then all of the other Facebook groups the other communities that exist the community centers um, the community coordinators all the different people that did their little bits within the community to be able to provide that safe space for people and connect with people and make those people feel like they were supported because there's obviously more people aside from us but we're just speaking about our own experiences with our own communities. But the fact that all of these little micro communities are creating that safe space and I guess, you know, changing the narrative within the defence community and and for those defence organisations that are connected, um, support organisations and people that offer services for veterans and defence spouses and families that we're more and more telling them what we need you know we're stepping up for ourselves but then also educating those organizations as well and you know the wider community and especially if we continue to continue that education with you know media um, celebrities influencers and you know really come together to to make um, even more of an impact. Well, thank you so much, Julia, Haley, and Tanya for coming on the podcast and sharing your experiences of the past week and all of the support that you've offered your communities and all of the tailored spouse slash psychological information you offered us, Tanya. Finally, we have someone that is a spouse who gets it, but can also back it up with what we're actually feeling and what those thoughts are and how to possibly deal with them and that it's okay and that there's a way forward and that we matter and that we need to acknowledge all the thoughts and feelings that we're having and look out for ourselves so we can look out for others. 
I so hope you were able to relate or take something away from today's episode. There are definite ups and downs to military life, but let's get the conversation happening so we can see that we are all in this together. We are all just doing our best. So until next week, you got this. Let's do this together one day at a time. Thank you so much for tuning in. If this episode has touched you, helped you, or given you that extra confidence to keep going, to continue to hold down the home front, to continue to do all the things, I would so appreciate it if you could pop into Apple Podcasts and subscribe to the podcast and leave a review, a comment about what you would like to hear more of, or just some encouraging words. If you want to suggest a guest, I am always looking for new people to talk to. You can do that by jumping over to the website www.militarywife.com.au and clicking on our podcast page. I would love to hear from you. 